Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Mean O' Lion Media presents Pregnancy Pearls. Meet Dr. Nicole Plenty, a double board certified OBGYN and high risk pregnancy expert. She's brilliant, well researched, and feisty. Growing tired of seeing complications of pregnancy that could have been prevented, she wanted a way to empower women through knowledge because, as she says, all doctors aren't created equal. This quest to educate women birthed this podcast, Pregnancy Pearls, with Dr. Plenty. Thanks for listening to Pregnancy Pearls Podcast with me, Dr. Nicole Plenty. So welcome back to the podcast, you guys. I find myself thinking I need to introduce myself at least a couple times a season because I realize that some of you guys may be new to the podcast and I really appreciate it. And tell the person that referred you to the podcast, thank you as well. So I'm Dr. Nicole Plenty. I am a double board certified OBGYN and maternal fetal medicine specialist, which means I take care of the highest risk pregnancies um, and complications during pregnancies, whether that's the mom has an issue or the baby has an issue. I'm the person that's usually either diagnosing or managing those issues. I also take care of moms that happen to be admitted to the ICU. So if you happen to be a mom, had no medical problems, and you got COVID during the outbreak, you would see someone like me. Um, You could also see someone like me, even if you think you have no complications, if you're older, older than age 35, or if you are having twins or triplets, um, anything that makes the pregnancy need to be followed a little bit closer. So that would make you high risk and you would see someone like me who is a maternal fetal medicine specialist. Now, don't be afraid if they send you to me, that means that we're just watching you a little bit closer. It doesn't mean you're going to have a poor outcome. And actually data says that People that do see a maternal fetal medicine specialist who meet criteria to be high risk actually have much better pregnancy outcomes. So we want you to see us if you are high risk. And if you're not high risk, hey, you're just here for the advice and the information and to make sure that you don't develop any of these things that we talk about. So today we're going to talk about fibroid degeneration specifically. We've talked about fibroids at length, and I had Dr. Jalene Sims on for season one. That's season one, episode two. So go back and listen to that um, and listen to our dialogue as we talk about our own experiences with fibroids. But we're specifically going to talk about fibroid degeneration at this time because a lot of you guys have asked questions about symptoms of fibroids. So I feel like we should break that down today. So let's first go through what fibroids are and get, give, I'll give you a little bit of background information about fibroids in general, and then we'll jump into the degeneration and what that means. So if you have never heard and you heard of fibroids, I know everybody's heard of that, right? But what are they? Fibroids are just these non-cancerous tumors. So they're like bundles of muscle fiber that are disorganized that sort of roll up into a ball. So if you've seen like um, old school, we used to make those rubber band balls. 
And so you just put the rubber bands like on top of each other and you can get the ball larger and larger by putting more rubber bands around the ball. Same thing. So fibroids are just like disorganized, like strands of muscle that have organized into like a ball, so a tumor, okay? Again, it's not cancer. There are things that can look like fibroids that are cancerous, like what's called sarcomas um, or um, lyomyosarcomas. Like those are cancerous, disorganized balls of muscle. Fibroids themselves are benign. They are not cancer. So if you hear somebody say the word benign, that means not cancer, okay? Now, according to the U.S. Fibroid Center, unfortunately, 80% of women will develop fibroids by age 50. Yep, 80% of us. Now, I'm 40. Now, I may not look like I'm 40, but I am 40. I know people tell me all the time I look like I'm 22, but I am 40. And when I had my son Harrison right before, because I had a miscarriage before I had Harrison, that's when I found out I had fibroids. I had no idea. I was asymptomatic, meaning I'd had no symptoms, but I had fibroids. And during my pregnancy, I had to be monitored a little bit closer because of those. Okay. Now, when we look at who fibroids affect, we know that they disproportionately affect black and brown women. Black women suffer more than three times from fibroids compared to white women. It just is what it is. And we don't really know why. We know that uh, there are some genetic links to fibroids, but we don't know what exactly um, all the genetic links, meaning there are some people that have genetic mutations that they think are linked to fibroids and they don't have fibroids, right? So we don't know. And then we don't know all of the linkages, but we know that if you have a family history of fibroids, so like your mom had fibroids, then you're more likely to have fibroids. So my mom had fibroids and a complete hysterectomy by age 38. So it wasn't surprised that when I got pregnant for the first time and I was 36, that I also had several fibroids. And then when I got pregnant with Harrison a year later, uh, my fibroids grew. So they have a propensity to be in families and throughout families. But as you can see, 80% risk of fibroids, it's like everyone has somebody in their family that's had them. Symptoms of fibroids outside of pregnancy include abnormally heavy menstrual cycles. So people that are like, I'm going through uh, pads, I have to wear a heavy tampon and a pad, like that could be a symptom of fibroids. If you're having bleeding between your menstrual cycles, that's also a symptom that you could have something there that's irritating the lining of the uterus, which could be a polyp, which is just like a little benign overgrowth of tissue, or it could be an organized tumor, which is a fibroid that is impinging on the cavity that's causing you have spotting or bleeding between your cycles. Some people with fibroids have pelvic heaviness, pelvic pressure, or even pelvic pain. And depending on what your fibroids are, you could also have pain with sexual intercourse or pain with bowel movements. And of course, if they're impinging on the cavity, it can make um, getting pregnant harder, right? So, So fibroids tend to take blood away from the cavity or the lining of the uterus and divert them to themselves. So if you have a pregnancy that's implanting on top of a fibroid, well, that pregnancy may not be able to get blood blood flow or the nutrients because it's implanting on a fi- fibroid. That's a taker. It's not a giver. So it, it does increase the risk of some women having miscarriages. 
Now, there are four main types of fibroids and then some subtypes of those four main types. So the the first type is called a pedunculated fibroid. It's like a fibroid that's on the stalk. So it can either be pedunculated and hanging off of the uterus, off of the surface of the uterus, sort of inside of the rest of the abdomen on a stalk, um, or it can be hanging from the lining of the uterus into the cavity on a stalk. So if you are a pedunculated, meaning you're on a stalk, what's called a subserosal fibroid, that's a fibroid that's close to the surface of the uterus, so outside of the uterus, um, that is a pedunculated subserosal fibroid. If you have um, a fibroid that's on a stalk hanging into the uterus, that is a pedunculated submucosal fibroid. And I'm saying this for some of our healthcare professionals that I know listen to this podcast, but I also think it's great for, you know, all women to know what kind of fibroid you have, because that is going to tell us what kind of things we need to watch for during your pregnancy. Um, So those are the subtypes of fibroids. So if we go back to the main types, pedunculated, meaning on a stalk, intramural, meaning inside of the muscular layer of the uterus, because you got three layers. You got the outside layer that's called the serosa. You got the inside layer that's just the muscle. And you got the layer very close, meaning the lining within the inside. um, And that's called um, the mucosa. So um, those are the three layers. So if you have intramural, that's in the muscular layer of of the uterus subserosal right under the surface of the uterus and then submucosal meaning you're pushing into the uterine cavity okay pushing into the uterine cavity so maybe a little bit tmi but just in case you're a health professional listen to that just don't forget your four types now fibroids like i say they're basically benign tumors in the uterus um, that um, are just super common now during the pregnancy People that didn't know they had fibroids are commonly diagnosed. Why? Estrogen, which is rampant during pregnancy, increases the size of the fibroids. So they tend to grow throughout the pregnancy. And now these growing fibroids also tend to divert blood flow towards them. And that means that blood is basically feeding the fibroid, helping it grow. And when this happens... Because fibroids are takers, just remember that they take blood. That means that there's not blood supply or less blood supply going towards the rest of the lining of the uterus, which is going to implant, um, give uh, these vessels are going to connect the inside layer of the uterus to the placenta or the afterbirth. Well, if you don't have enough blood flow going to the placenta, then the placenta is not developing how it needs to develop. And the placenta is not able to send good blood flow to the baby. So that can put people with fibroids at increased risk of having smaller babies, okay? So anybody that has fibroids during the pregnancy, if you've been diagnosed, then you need the growth of your baby followed throughout the pregnancy pretty much every month to month and a half, okay? And when they start doing that will depend on the physician, but usually I start doing that once the baby is viable. So anybody that is 23 to 24 weeks, and gets diagnosed with fibroids, I want to see you every month to a month and a half just to make sure the baby isn't small. Why does it matter if a baby's small? So I do have an ish, uh, an episode on fetal growth restriction, or meaning your baby being small. That's what we mean by fetal growth restriction. Small baby, same thing. 
Well, we worry about that because babies that are small have an increased risk of stillbirth. Because a baby is not getting good nutrients, then we need to make sure that if a small baby is diagnosed, that there's good enough blood flow to sustain the baby nutritionally, okay? The baby's not getting good nutrients and there's absent episodes of blood flow, which means that now the baby literally has breaks um, within the pumping of the blood where it's not getting any blood, okay? That tells us we got to deliver you early to avoid a stillbirth. So we don't know whether to to monitor you close unless we know the baby is small. So that's why your OBGYN will periodically check the size of the baby if you have fibroids. Now, fibroids can be so greedy, they've taken so much blood that they get really big. And if they get really big, well, there's only so much blood they're going to divert. They can outgrow their blood supply. And when this happens, that's called fibroid degeneration, okay? Or the fibroid is dying. Those cells are necrosing or dying on the inside, okay? So that's all degeneration is. It's just a process of fibroids dying. And with degeneration, sometimes we can see the size of the fibroids tend to shrink. Well, that's actually a good thing, right? That your fibroids are shrinking, okay? Now, usually we don't see fibroids completely go away because people are like, oh, my fibroids are shrinking. That means they're going to go away. Well, no, that doesn't mean they're necessarily going to go away, especially not fully in pregnancy because you do have that high hormone level, but they can shrink. And we know if they are shrinking and they're dying, that means they're no longer going to be able to divert blood to them, okay? But it does mean that you may have some symptoms of fibrodegeneration with the main symptom being pain. So when tissues start to die, it causes pain. That's a symptom, pain. Now, treatment to degenerating fibroids usually includes control of the pain. Since the time the fibroid starts degenerating, usually when you are pain-free, usually takes a couple weeks. So usually two or three weeks, all of a sudden you're like, okay, I feel better. But in the meantime, even a week is a long time to go with excruciating pain. Even a day is a long time to go with excruciating pain. And so you need to be treated for these fibroids in pregnancy. Now, usually what we're going to give you is called an NSAID, a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug or NSAID. That's what that stands for, NSAID, um, to help decrease inflammation or decrease all of those little you know, immune attack cells that are trying to break down this fibroid, um, we sort of decrease the inflammation so you won't have as much pain. And we use things like Motrin 800 milligrams or Tordol or some other form of an NSAID, okay? Now, I know what you're thinking. You're like, I thought we didn't really use NSAIDs in pregnancy. Fibroid degeneration is the exception. We do use a short course of NSAIDs because we want to decrease the inflammation. Now, if you are far along in the pregnancy, you do need to talk to your healthcare provider. So if you're already in the third trimester, talk to your healthcare provider about whether or not NSAIDs are safe for you, because there are some exceptions to that rule. And I do not recommend NSAIDs in the third trimester of pregnancy. And if you read about NSAIDs or Motrin or ibuprofen, the same thing, it'll say, do not take during pregnancy. They really mean do not take in the third trimester, but because people don't remember that, we just say don't take them at all, okay? But before you take anything in pregnancy, that's a new drug, you should always talk to your healthcare provider to get their recommendations 
and to make sure that it is safe from their perspective, depending on what's going on with you and how far along you are in pregnancy. For severe pain, your provider might prescribe a short course of stronger pain medicine like hydrocodone or oxycodone or a combination of medication with either hydrocodone or oxycodone in it with Tylenol, so like a Percocet or Norco. They could prescribe short courses of those things, okay? Now, if you're not pregnant, then you have a little bit more options. Usually, we'll start with pain medicine because we got to make sure that you, you're comfortable, okay? Then your OBGYN will counsel you about what your options are in, um, outside of pregnancy to get your fibroids treated. Now, the approach is going to depend on a couple things. One, have you ever had kids? Two, if you've had kids, are you done having children? Um, if you, um, whether you're done or not, are your symptoms controllable? Like, are you bleeding and requiring multiple blood transfusions or not? Okay. Um, how big your fibroids are and where they are. So they'll ask you all of those things, do a physical exam, do an ultrasound to look at your fibroids so they can get a complete picture before they give you these recommendations. Okay. But generally, here are your options. One, they can remove the fibroids surgically and keep your uterus there, right? So this is specifically for people that are like, I've never had any kids or I'm not done having children. I want the option to have more children. Then you can get what's called a myomectomy. That is when we have a surgery to remove fibroids and there's different approaches to myomectomies. So some people get a robotic myomectomy. I mean, you have a little bitty ports about three to four little ports, an inch long, and they put a camera in the belly button, through the belly button port, and then two other ports down closer to your hip and another port usually up at the left side, right? So they're going to put these ports in so that they can access robotically um, your uterus and remove uh, the fibroids that way. Now that's really good for people that have pedunculated, meaning on a stalk hanging off the outside of the uterus, so pedunculated subserosal fibroids, um, or if you have even uh, fibroids in the muscular layer of the uterus, so intramural fibroids, um, this is not the best approach for people that have fibroids within the cavity, okay? If you have fibroids within the cavity, there's not much on the outside, then they can go through your cervix and into your uterus to do what's called a hysteroscopic myomectomy, meaning we put a camera through the vagina, through the cervix, into the uterus, and then we can resect the fibroid that way. Some people can have what's called a straight stick laparoscopy, meaning if you have a robotic myomectomy, your surgeon isn't touching you at all. They're at, a, they're at like a robot machine sitting in the corner and there are robotic arms they're controlling to do your surgery, okay? If you have what's called a laparoscopic myomectomy, that means your surgeon is, is literally putting these rods inside that have claspers at the end and a camera in through your belly button again, or they could probably put it at a site higher in the abdomen. But basically there's a camera inserted into your abdomen to look at your uterus and then your surgeon is controlling directly the the arms, okay, that are inserted into you, but you still have those very small um, incisions. People that need an open myomectomy um, are people that, meaning if you need an incision on, 
on your uterus so they can put their hands on your uterus are people that usually have larger fibroids. And sometimes that those fibroid removal can be done through like a bikini cut. And for some people that have really big fibroids, you might have to have an up and down incision on your uterus um, to get your fibroids out that way. So the approach really depends on the size and location of your fibroids. But either way, a, a fibroid removal or myomectomy is a way to treat it and leave your uterus in place so that you can have kids. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Now, you can also undergo what's called a uterine fibroid embolization, which is, uh, or radiofrequency abrasion. These are minimally invasive treatments to treat fibroids. So this is a non-surgical procedure that shrinks current fibroids and prevents them from reoccurring, which could help keep fibroid degeneration from happening in the future because now they've just cut off or embolized blood supply to those fibroids. Um, There's also radio frequency um, waves that can be applied to those vessels and fibroids to also help get rid of them and shrink them. So these agents block arteries that provide blood flow to the fibroids and thus cause them to shrink faster. So it treats fibroid degeneration by attacking it and causing it to shrink faster. Okay, so you don't have weeks and weeks and weeks of pain. But the side effects of some of those is that it does cause pain, but for a shorter amount of time. Now, of course, if you're done having kids or your symptoms are severe despite other treatments or you're having super heavy bleeding, then your OBGYN would also give you the option to just remove your uterus altogether, right? The uterus is like a worthless organ if you're not trying to get pregnant. It serves no purpose. It serves zero purpose if you are not trying to get pregnant. So if you're done having your children and you're having symptoms, there's no reason not to get it removed unless you have a medical problem or medical condition that would be harmful for you to go under the knife, okay? So if you have a heart problem, then it may be dangerous for you to be put under anesthesia. If you have diabetes, it may be dangerous to put you under anesthesia, especially if you're that number that tells you how controlled your blood sugar is, your hemoglobin A1C. If that number is not well controlled, then um, you may have issues with wound healing, which you know we don't want you to have to go through that. So so if you have uncontrolled medical problems, then obviously the, the choice of which approach to take may vary there, okay? You may not be a candidate for a major surgery like a hysterectomy. Okay, so now that you know a little bit more about fibroid degeneration, let's go to some cases. Our first case is a 37-year-old who is 26 weeks pregnant with her third child. She has a known history of fibroids, and she has been in severe pain for about a week. On ultrasound, there is a 9-centimeter fibroid at the top of her uterus. Everything is normal with her baby, but she has a history of a postpartum hemorrhage with her last baby, so her OBGYN does not want her taking any NSAIDs. She's afraid to take opioids, so she was referred to you for counseling. So the first case, um, she's having her third child. We know that she has fibroids, and now this fibroid is like 9 centimeters, right? This sounds 
like me, except for I had six fibroids and not just one. And she does not want to take NSAIDs. This is like my classic patient. You have fibroid degeneration, you're in a lot of pain, but you don't want to take what we are recommending for you. And then you're afraid to take any other, any stronger pain medicine. Um, and so now you want to know what other option. Well, let, let me tell you. Fibroid degeneration does happen most commonly in the second trimester. That is the main treatment. It is NSAIDs. The reason that we say, hey, try the NSAIDs first or the Motrin or ibuprofen first is because it helps to suppress all the inflammation that's causing the pain, okay? So if we can suppress the inflammation, we can also suppress the pain. That's why when you're on your cycle and you have all that inflammation because the lining of your uterus is breaking down, okay, we give you Motrin 800, it helps with pain because it's suppressing the inflammation there. Same deal with fibroids, okay? So this is the treatment. Um, But if you did not want NSAIDs or Motrin, then the next thing which you're afraid to take is opiates. But let me tell you, if I had to choose between taking a short course of NSAIDs or taking an opiate, I would take the NSAIDs. Why? Because NSAIDs can, one, suppress inflammation so they have a better effect on pain. Even when people have C-sections and they're having wound healing, most of the time after we get your pain under control, the Motrin 800 works better than the Percocet right? The Percocet usually will take the edge off and it usually makes people a little tired, but it doesn't work as well as your high dose incense to getting rid of your pain because the Percocet and, you know, is not going to decrease inflammation. Tylenol, the Tylenol in there is not going to decrease inflammation. Plus uh, with you using opiates for a prolonged period of time, let's say your degeneration lasted for over two weeks, which usually, like I say, viral degeneration a couple weeks and it's gone, but everybody's different. But we don't want you using um, opioids or like Norco Percocet through the pregnancy long term because one, we don't want you to get a dependence, although the likelihood of you getting dependence for just three weeks is very low. But we don't want you to be someone that has a propensity to have uh, opioid dependence. And then two, we don't want you to get into the third trimester on opioids because we don't want to increase your risk of your baby having neonatal abstinence syndrome or withdrawal from opioids, okay? So short courses of opioids in conjunction with NSAIDs are better because then you can use the opioids less frequent, okay, so that you're not building up a tolerance for the Norco or the Percocet. We want you to use NSAIDs. Now, I get it. Some people are afraid to give people NSAIDs if they have a history of a postpartum hemorrhage because, you know, Motrin has a little bit of a blood thinning effect, but it is completely safe, even with the blood, uh, postpartum hemorrhage, unless you have a history of like an allergy to NSAIDs or you have a issue with super duper heavy bleeding on NSAIDs. It's still, uh, in my opinion, very safe at 26 weeks to give a very short course of NSAIDs. You are not about to deliver. This is far from the timing of your delivery. So I would still recommend giving it here. This would still be my first choice at 26 weeks. Now, let's say you were 36 weeks. Now, it's rare to have fibroid degeneration at 36 weeks, but let's say you had it. Then I would say, hey, let's give her a dose of opioids 
to help control that because I don't give NSAIDs after 32 weeks because that can cause a premature closure of one of the shunts in the baby's heart, and that's called the ductus arteriosus. And so we don't want to cause any issue with cardiac function, but we know that that usually does not happen until after the 32nd week. And so we will give you a short course of NSAIDs up into that time, and we know that that is safe, okay? So when we say NSAIDs, we mean Motrin, ibuprofen, Indocin. Indocin is very common that, that people give in the first and early second trimester to help with preterm contractions. Same medicine. Um, we can give that for pain. Tordol is a little potent non-steroidal anti-inflammatory or NSAID that we can give for short, short spells of time. So your OBGYN may recommend one of those. At 26 weeks, I would consider that very, very safe, even if you had a history of a postpartum hemorrhage with your previous uh, pregnancy. But also, let's make sure you don't have any um, issues with clotting, okay? So, so you should have had a workup for that. Let's make sure you don't have any issues with clotting um, so that we can get ahead of the hemorrhage with your next delivery, but you're so far from the delivery that I think that this is safe. The case pearl for this case is NSAIDs are the recommended treatment for fibroid degeneration unless you have an NSAID allergy. All right, medical intern, what's our second case? This one says, Dr. Plenty, I'm 21 weeks pregnant and have experienced severe pain from fibroid degeneration for the past six days. My OBGYN prescribed me Motrin, but the pharmacist told me that this should not be taken during pregnancy. What else can I take to help with the pain? This patient can't get her prescription filled. This happens all the time to me. And usually if this happens, if your OBGYN prescribes a, a medication, any medication, and the pharmacist says, hey, you shouldn't take this, then what I would do is ask the pharmacy to call, contact your OBGYN's office, or you contact the OBGYN's office while you're still in the pharmacy. Because sometimes we can do, we can prescribe things that are off-label that are safe in the pregnancy that the pharmacist may not be as familiar with. I've had this happen all the time. You know, pharmacists will say one thing and I'm like, well, actually, no, like this is off label or actually, no, I really didn't mean to prescribe that. Now, our pharmacists are are great in as a part of the care team. Right. It takes a village and no one's perfect. Right. So we may have had a brain fart at that point and prescribed you something that the pharmacist caught. So we we're happy the pharmacist is doing these checks and balances. But we got to make sure that we're on the same page. So you can either call us, ask us to call your pharmacist, or have the pharmacist call us themselves to verify the reason that we want you to take the prescription. This is a prime example. Yes, Motrin, it says it's contraindicated in pregnancy. And so pharmacists won't prescribe it. But for this reason, you should be taking it. So what I would do is um, call the pharmacist and explain, hey, Listen, this patient has fibro degeneration. She's only 21 weeks. And I've already counseled her about the risk of this and told her that she cannot use it after 32 weeks. And um, and she accepts that risk and will not use it after 32 weeks, right? Or they may compromise and say, hey, how about you give her a smaller number of, uh, of Motrin so that we know that she won't accidentally take this after 32 weeks. So some of it just requires the pharmacist and your provider to get on the same page with things because your pharmacist, if he asks if you're pregnant, then they don't know how far along you are. They don't know. 
And so, um, so it's just a matter of making sure we're on the same page. This is not, to me, I know the question is, what else would help with pain? Well, I want you to take that because I'd rather you take that than a controlled substance in pregnancy. If you can take a short course of that and avoid the controlled substance, that's what I want you to do. So I wouldn't offer any other alternative. Now, if if that didn't work and it was still causing your pain, then I would prescribe like a Percocet or a Norco as a controlled substance to help you with a short stint of pain. And if that didn't work on an outpatient basis, meaning with you not being admitted, then you need something stronger, like an IV medicine, IV inset, like a Tordal IV, um, or even you know morphine IV as well. So you may have to be admitted to control your pain. And fiber degeneration is a reason that sometimes people need to be admitted. Everybody's pain threshold is a little bit different, and everybody doesn't feel fiber degeneration the same. So um, you have to know your body, and if it's something that's not controlled, you can't function. You may have to be admitted for a little while so we can get your pain under control um, and decrease that inflammation that's causing the pain so that you can function, okay? So just talk to your provider about how much pain you're having, and if it controls it, great. If the if that medicine doesn't control it, then we got to move to the next thing. If that doesn't control it, then you may have to be admitted. Um, but listen to your body and be open and communicative with your provider so that they know which direction to go. All right, medical intern, do we have any more email questions or cases? This one says, Dr. Plenty, I'm really concerned that I am 18 weeks and have been in pain for weeks. I haven't felt my baby move yet, but the lower part of my belly over my uterus is extremely tender. I have not been bleeding, but I am concerned that something might be wrong with my baby. Does fibroid degeneration increase the risk of miscarriage? A lot of people think, what this patient is thinking. Hey, you know, I'm having pain. I haven't felt my baby move. Is the fibroid degeneration harming my baby? Short answer is no, right? Fibroid degeneration is harming you because it's causing pain, but it's actually shrinking the fibroids. But there's no linkage to fibroid degeneration and stillbirth. Now there's a linkage to decreased fertility in people with fibroids. There's a linkage to increased risk of miscarriages in the first trimester because of fibroids, because of the the implantation issue that I talked about. Like, you know, the fertilized little baby or embryo doesn't know where to implant, right? If implants on top of a fibroid, you are more likely to have a miscarriage just because that baby is not getting good enough blood, blood flow from the placenta that's implanted onto the fibroid, right? Um, but once you are once you get pregnant, okay, once you're able to get pregnant, and once that pregnancy progresses past the first trimester, then usually the actual act of degeneration is not associated with a significant increased risk of miscarriages. Fibroids are, but the degeneration itself does not something that just like sets you apart, okay? Um, It causes pain, but rest assured, most of the time the baby is just fine. It sucks for you, but the baby is in there moving and grooving like nothing happened, okay? Doesn't know what's going on. Baby's in there kicking the fibroid, causing you have more pain. So uh, it's definitely, the fibroids definitely aren't hurting the baby. I had six fibroids. Harrison was in there literally like acting like it was a punching bag in there. And every time he moved, I would feel like, ah, ah. I mean, it would be so painful, but he's he was fine. The generation itself, is not going to be a problem 
necessarily for the baby once you progress into the pregnancy. It's just a symptom that causes you pain. It can also be associated um, with an increased need for a C-section, not the degeneration, but the fibroids themselves can increase the need for a C-section. And also fibroids can put you at increased risk for having bleeding complications because the fibroids can get big and it's hard to... Um, uh, it's hard to uh, reapproximate, if you have a C-section, hard to reapproximate the uterus if there's a fibroid. It's hard to sew a fibroid to itself, okay? So some people, depending on where they are, may need the fibroid removed it in order to get the uterus back um, closed, okay? But routinely, we don't remove fibroids at the time of a C-section. So don't even ask your OBGYN that. We usually don't because your blood volume doubles in pregnancy and removal of fibroid is a very bloody procedure because like I say, fibroids are just blood guzzlers. Okay. They're they're bloody procedures. So we don't want to increase the blood loss at the time of a C-section. So we will not remove fibroids at the time of C-section. Okay. So don't even ask. We don't, we try not to, unless we absolutely have to, if we can't um, close your uterus because we keep every stitch we throw is ripping through a fibroid where we have no choice at that point, but to remove the fibroid. Otherwise we leave the fibroid alone. But regardless of how you deliver, vaginal or C-section, it is something we we think about because we don't want you to bleed because of uh, because the fibroids are so vascular. All right, medical intern, do we have any more emailed questions or cases? And she's shaking her head no. So thanks so much, you guys, for listening to Pregnancy Pearls podcast. I hope that you learned a bit more about fibroid degeneration. If you like the topic, make sure to let me know by dropping a rating in the comments on the platform of your choice, wherever you listen to the podcast, and share me with your friends. If you or someone you know has had a pregnancy complication or unique pregnancy situation, let me know about it. Email me at pregnancypearls at gmail.com to hear your topic or case discussed on one of our podcast episodes. Also, remember to follow me on Instagram at pregnancy underscore pearls and Facebook at pregnancy pearls. You can also check out my website, which is www.drnicoleplenty.com for more free pregnancy information and downloadables. In closing, remember to advocate for yourself. You are your biggest advocate and no one knows what's going on with your body except for you. Thanks for listening. Bye. Pregnancy Pearls is hosted by Dr. Nicole Lee Plenty. Produced by Nicole Plenty and Janine Brunson Johnson. Executive producer, Ken Johnson. Find Pregnancy Pearls on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe and rate. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice for diagnosis or treatment of individual medical conditions. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with specific questions regarding a medical condition. Pregnancy Pearls is a mean old lion media production so you've got an idea for a business the store of your dreams there's just one thing to figure out everything that's why shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online in person and everywhere else sell on social media source products with an app to get that first sale feeling it's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want so when you're ready to bring your idea to life power it up with shopify sign up for a one dollar per month trial period at shopify.com listen 